0: This is entitled "The Faith in Action, or I've just subtitled it Solutions for Suffering Saints. Dealing with difficulties. How do, how do we do that? How do, we live in a, in a world that has so many unfair scenarios. How, how do we do that? How do we deal with that? How do, how do we put God into all the midst of the unfairness, all the sorrow, all the suffering? How, how do we have this loving God, this all-knowing, all-wise God, and, and all these things that just don't seem to make sense? seems like much of our life is going to have that phrase, we'll explain later, written over the top of it. I was in a some time ago, and a man uh, at the close uh, wrote a, a testimony, and, and, he, and he, he said this. He said that the trials of life have a way of wearing a person down. Questions come like, are you in this, God? God, where are you? You ever notice the teacher is always silent during the final exam? And sometimes that's the way God seems. Questions like he said, do you care? And, and on and on. He said this, I didn't hear anything these last two weeks. I didn't, I didn't already know. But life has attacked me to the shaking of my faith at its very core. I just couldn't get over, back over the hump to faith and understanding. And your messages so simply explained to me all that I'd previously known. And then he summarized the entire two weeks in five statements. And I, I, I thought it was gold. He, he said, here's what I've realized. God is sovereign. Faith is a journey. God is faithful. God is love, and God can be trusted. And he said, that that is all I need to know. That's what I need to know and live in. And I thought, if I could live in that, that God, you are sovereign, that we're all in a process, we're on a journey, that God is faithful even when I am not, that God is too loving to be unkind, too wise to make a mistake, and that God can be trusted. But but I think suffering raises that question in our mind. God, can you really be trusted? Can we really trust God? the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and according to the Torah and the book of Proverbs, we are blessed because of righteousness, and we suffer because of our wickedness. And most of the time, that's how it works. But the book of Job provides a, a vital balance. It reminds us that things don't always work out that way. I mean, Job, we talked about him the other night. He was as righteous as any human being could possibly be, and God had blessed him tremendously. And, and he believed that righteousness equaled blessing. Then one day the system stopped working. And for 28 chapters, his friends come and they, they say, you must have really sinned to suffer like this. And Job counters and says, no, I, no, no, I didn't. And they, they insist, yes, you did. And, and the longer the conversation Job goes, the more they panic. I mean, here comes one man who can bring the whole system crashing down. I mean, if Job can suffer innocently, then so can they. And and they were desperate to reassure themselves that that could not happen to them. But it can. We can all go through difficult things. And, and, And not because we caused it, not because we planned it, not because we wanted it. I want you to... On the, on your page there, at the top of your page or your book someplace, I want you to, to write down the greatest thing you're facing right now, the greatest difficulty. It could just be a person's name. It could be a couple words. It, it could, it could be something. There's all kinds of suffering. It could be personal. It could be something physical you're going through right now. It could be some financial loss that you're experiencing or, or financial need. Maybe it's a, an accident or an injury or an illness that, that you're having to deal with, with you or, or with one of your children or some family. It could be something in your kids, or it could be a, a drug issue, or it could be a, a, an issue of immorality in some of your children or some of your family—fornication or homosexuality. It could be something in your mate. It could be pornography. It could be something of uh, an adulterous relationship that you're having to deal with in some relationship. It could be with your parents. Maybe, maybe you have parents that are facing dementia. It could be you're in the midst of a divorce or have gone through that. It could be in a relative. What, what is the most serious thing, the most difficult thing you're facing? Just in a word. A word or two, I want you to write that at the top of your page. And I want us to walk through these next moments together and and try to look at those things from God's perspective. I, I don't know what you would write down there. We have um under my patriarchal canopy, I have I have twenty nine people. And that includes uh 17 grandkids and and uh children and and son in laws and daughter in laws and, and and so forth, and and um most of them are doing pretty good but but we we have walked through some things in recent years that have been difficult our our oldest granddaughter grace is here with us she's been here this week and uh she and her brother who's 2 years 3 years younger have chronic Lyme disease and have had for about uh, three years our, our our grandson Aiden at thirteen um, contracted this and was in bed for eighteen months with a pick line running to his heart. They tried nine different antibiotics and they 've seen all kinds of doctors they 've spent over one hundred thousand um, dollars on doctors and and uh, he 's three years into this he 's out of bed now, but he is not out of the woods and he 's um, still in need and grace is doing better she 's been able to be here this week, but it has been a, a, an ordeal i, I can 't imagine me when when I was in high school being in bed for eighteen months and as a, as an active thirteen year old now he's still dealing with uh, uh with with some of that and we've walked through that and we've and all of you have walked through physical issues uh we have um Six children, as I mentioned, and and uh, our middle son Josh, um, for throughout his uh, growing up years, as he's the kind of guy. He, if he walked in the room, he lights up a room. He's got incredible gifts and abilities and talents. He's been in true two Broadway plays, and and um, just is uh, an incredibly talented. He he uh, um, has a master's degree in musical theater. Uh, sang with Hillsong London. Um, helped start Hillsong New York. It was the vocal coach. Um, recently he recently was in a Broadway play with Josh Groban. Um, I mean, he's, he's um, very talented and, and uh, almost got, got engaged a couple times when he was in high school or college, rather, and, and um, about six years ago now, came to us. And, and all of his life, he has struggled with same-sex attraction. Um, it, it's not sin to be tempted in any area. It's only sin when you yield to that temptation. And for the most part, he'd been victorious over that, choosing celibacy. But about six years ago, he came to us and said he found a theology in his culture there in New York City. And, and he, he found a, a theology that says you can have a gay marriage and Christianity at the same time, that they can coexist. And there is a, a theology that is being preached in some churches and some settings, um, where they have redefined scripture and reinterpreted scripture. You can always find a theology to match your morality if you look hard enough. And, and, uh, so trying to find a theology to match morality, uh, He found that, and Bible scholars have uh, written books uh, justifying that. I think it's wrong. I think it's uh, inaccurate. It's not true, but it's uh, what he has believed. And so about six years ago now, uh, he came to us and said he's found this new theology, and um, he's going to embrace that lifestyle. And um, it's been the most difficult um, six and a half years, actually, of, of our life um, I, I, uh, would just as soon not be here, frankly, I just as soon not be doing what I'm doing. If God would let me not, then I would be happy to stop. Um, I I just, I don't like to talk about it. I don't like to have to deal with it. I, I don't have to, I've, I've become an expert on an area that I don't even want. I'm not an expert, but treated like an expert. I don't, I don't want to be that. Uh, but we don't choose that sometimes in our life. And, and all I want to do tonight is share with you some things we're learning. You, you have your own scenarios with your children, with your life. Um, I, I share with the folks on Saturday that there are, there are three things determined a child's choices. There's, there's nature, nurture, and choices. Um, every child, every person is born with a sin nature, and, and God has to intervene in that and change that. And then we have the responsibility as parents to nurture them in the admonition of the Lord, and then they make their own choices. And, and adult children sometimes make ch- childish choices. That shouldn't surprise us. I'm an adult. I make childish choices at times. And, and, and a, a parent is not responsible for the wrong choices of his adult child, but it doesn't take away the guilt and the shame and the hurt and the frustration a, a, as a parent in that. And so we are walking through that and are learning some things. And I'm just going uh, to—this th- is not any um, uh, systematic order, but I'm just going to give you some things we're learning in that process, and hopefully it'll be helpful to you. First of all, it's simply this. suffering is not an option; it's a calling. You can turn if you want, but here's the verses in First Peter chapter two. You know, there, there's some verses in Scripture I don't really like. And this happens to be one of them. Um, They're just hard sometimes. And it says this, what credit is there if when you sin and are so treated for it and endure with patience, if you do something wrong and and you get in trouble and have a good attitude, then so what? But if when you do it as right and suffer for it and you take it patiently and you endure it, this finds favor with God. Now here's the verse I don't like. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, He left you an example that you should follow in his steps. That verse says this, suffering is a calling. We are called to suffer. I had a friend, some of you know, Lane Johnson, traveled with me for some time. And and in some message, I would say at some point that uh, when I traveled with him, that I've never been called to preach. And he came to me and said, "Stevie, you shouldn't you shouldn't say that." And, and uh, well I, I never have. I've never sat in a service where you know I heard
1: go to Africa you know
0: or whatever else. that, that happens to some people. maybe you're in a service like that. I, 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 that's never happened to me. Uh, my, my pastor growing up said, if you haven't been called, try volunteering. Uh, and, and I think some of us are waiting for some Damascus road experience, and that happens to some people, but it didn't happen to me, so I, I, I went through. Scripture, don't don't write this down. You can do your own study this time, sometime. But I just looked up that word and I thought, what what are we called to? And and here's what the Bible says: we we are called to fellowship. We're, we're called to freedom. We're called to a worthy walk. We're called to hope. We're called to peace. We're called to suffering, and we're called to bless others. You ever played that game where you look at something and say, now what doesn't fit in this picture? And you look at that and you say, man, this is called a fellowship and freedom and a worthy walk and hope and peace and to bless others. What is suffering doing in that list? But here it is, and I said, here it is in black and white. I, I, I don't see a verse that says call to the mission field, but here it is in black and white. God has called us to suffer. The, the fact is pain is our friend because the reality is we listen better when we're in pain. I, I wish that wasn't the case, but I've just found, and probably you have too, that God shows up many times in the misery of our life. And so the reality and the first thing you need to understand tonight is this. God has called me to suffer. Turn to the person next to you and say to them, God called me to suffer. Say that to the person next to you. That one's very fun. Turn to the person on the other side of you and say, God called you to suffer. How about that? That'd be better. Listen, the reality is sometimes life just stinks. Sometimes life is hard. And and Jesus was called to suffering. He, He set an example that we should follow in his steps. Why would we expect any difference than what he went through? And until you embrace that call and realize that it's not an accident, it's a part of the sovereign plan of God that God has called us to suffer just like Christ. If you can understand that and embrace that, it, it changes your perspective. Here's the second thing, just learning things. Secondly, suffering is exaggerated by comparison. It's exaggerated by comparison. Second Corinthians 10 12 says this we dare not classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, for when they measure themselves by themselves and compare their numbers with themselves, they are not wise. Comparison is the sport of fools. It is a foolish thing. Listen, don't compare yourself to someone else's suffering because you do not have all the facts. Everyone struggles with some degree of comparison. I mean, everybody. I mean, it, it goes all about. I, I we don't have this, but I, I can imagine Adam and Eve. I mean, here they are. I can just imagine Eve saying to Adam, "Honey, does this fig leaf make me look fat?" I, 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 I don't know what happened, but probably we, we just all—it's just kind of been ingrained in us, right? Everybody has an issue of comparison. And and I, I think Facebook has really just exaggerated all this social media uh, that the problem is when we compare our life to Facebook, you don't put your bad days on Facebook. Somebody else might, but you don't put your bad days. You put your best days. And so we compare our worst days to everyone else's best days, and, and, and we feel like a failure. I, I know a couple, they've been traveling in Europe. And and all they have on Facebook is here they are in Paris and here they are in Rome. And you would think their life is just one big vacation. I I happen to know they are not in a good place. But the Facebook image is that they have just got the the perfect life and the perfect marriage. And when you compare yourself with someone else based on social media, it's just foolish to do that. You do not know what's going on behind closed doors. With, with, with Josh, we, we, we've we struggled through this for all his life. This is not a new event. This is something he struggled with all, all his entire life. But, but we weren't advertising that. And people looked at our life and said, man, they've got no problems. They're, they're just sailing through. And, and, and you, don't, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. We weren't announcing it because he wasn't announcing it. About six years ago, he started announcing it, and so now I'm, I, I have to talk about it, but but we didn't before, but that didn't mean that there wasn't issues there, and and, and you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. I, I had a bad year a few years ago. Um, we were going through this with Josh. Um, our, we, we, our daughter, Anna, went off to uh, – I got married, and so now we are you know, empty nesters, and uh, this was a couple of years ago. Uh, my parents, both 86, my mom had a hip replacement and and got uh, an infection, and two weeks later, she passed away. Three months later, my dad, now a widow, uh, was in a, a minor car accident, just rear-ended somebody, but had some internal injuries. I went down and visited him in the hospital and left. A week later, he passed away. Within three months, I left with my parents. I'm, I'm walking through this, Josh, we're, we're going, and, and, but, but I wasn't advertising, boy, that, that we, we were doing what God asked us to do. And, and, and all of us go through things in our life. We have seasons, and, and we don't put it on the front pages of the paper. And when you look at someone's life and you compare your kids to their kids or your life to their life, when you do it, it's just foolish to do that. And it's suffering. is exaggerated by that. Remember, as, as parents, when our kids make wrong choices, even, even though I don't believe you're responsible for the wrong decisions of your adult children, it still grieves you as a parent. You still beat yourself up. You still say, you know, what could I have done differently? How could I have changed this? How, how, and so when you see someone else whose family appears to be all together, it's like that just makes it worse. I remember a couple years ago, we, we and we we've we've beat ourselves up, you know, for years about this. I mean, a couple years ago, we were uh, Deb and I were talking, and Debbie said, "Look at that family," and she said, "They they just got all these kids and and everything's together," and and it was a, a a TV family called Nineteen and Counting, and and about a week later, the whole thing kind of blew up, and they went and and I, I find no joy in that. I'm just saying you you can't be looking at the television side, the Facebook side, the the public side. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And when you compare with someone else, the, the Bible calls you a fool when you do that. Here's the third thing: suffering is a tool that God uses. Suffering is a tool that God uses in your life. That's why Paul said, "For Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships." In, I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I am weak, but he is strong, remember? And, and suffering is a tool that God uses in our life. In the Old Testament, we read the story of David wanting to build a, a house for God. We, we call it Solomon's temporal, Temple, but it was really David's temple. It was his idea. But God said, you can't build it. You're a man of war, but your son can. And so Solomon put it together after David kind of got it all arranged and ready. He funded about a tenth of it, the Bible says, from his own income. But but we call it Solomon's Temple. And, and in the building of the temple, there's an interesting ver- verse. It says, at the site of the building of the temple, there was not heard the sound of the hammer and chisel. That they built the temple in silence out of reverence to God. Can you imagine building this building in silence? I don't think so. But but they were going to build the Holy of Holies. The Shekinah glory of God was going to dwell there. And so they didn't want it to be a construction site. So all the chipping of those stones was done in the quarry. So when it got to the site, they fit perfectly in. The, the Bible calls us living stones. And right now we're in the quarry. And we've got all these, these rough edges on us. And, and we're sitting here in the quarry, and we are saying... God, I want you to make me like Jesus. I, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. God says, Really? You want, you want to be like Jesus? I, I, I want to be like Jesus. So he says, Okay, you got this pride right here. So he comes down and he whacks on some. Oh, we, oh God, what was that about? That really hurts. Well, I thought you want to be like Jesus. I do. I know it's going to hurt. Listen, if you're going to carve a, a, a horse out of a piece of granite, you don't use a fingernail file. You throw the jackhammer, and if that rock had feelings, it would be painful. And and we do have feelings. And and when you say God make me like Jesus, and some difficulty comes, and you get mad at God, He's just answering your prayers. It's it's like praying for rain and complaining about the mud. You can't have one without the other. And and don't get mad at the tools that God uses. When when God knocks off the rough edges of your life to make you in the image of his son, he's going to use some tools. And we get mad at the tools. It may be a mom and a dad. It could be a boss. It could be a pastor. It could be a next door neighbor. And and we get mad at the tools that God uses. Remember, God is the stone cutter. He holds those tools in his hand. And when you get mad at the tools, you're really getting mad at the God of the universe. All bitterness, remember, is ultimately directed towards God. And, and so, so when you say, make me like Jesus, don't complain about difficulty. That's just God using those tools. Suffering is the number one tool in the hands of God to perfect Christ-likeness in my life and in yours. So when you say, don't pray this if you don't mean it. When you say, make me like Jesus, then get ready to go through difficulty because that's what it's going to take to knock off the pride. That's what it takes to humble us, because we're we are just stubborn people, and God uses those things. Anything that draws you closer to Christ, that makes you more like him, can't be all bad. Here's the deal. Anything that happens to you in the next year that does not kill you was meant to make you more like Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Anything that happens to you in the next year that doesn't kill you was meant to make you more like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying I like that. I'm just saying I've got to see those events through the grid of eternity, not through the grid of the temporary. Here's the fourth thing I'm learning. Suffering tests our patience and builds our perseverance. God uses suffering to grow us in patience and in perseverance. George Mueller was uh, an incredible man of prayer. And, and you've heard stories of, of how, how he prayed for things, and, and before he even finished praying, it, it, it had been answered. But but something unusual about George Mueller's prayer life, there was a couple of men that he prayed for for years and years and years. He wrote this in his journal. He said, God in the riches of his grace has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the same hour or day in which they were offered I've been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion. He was speaking of two individuals he was talking about, yet they remain unconverted. But I hope in God, I pray on, and I look yet for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. This was four years before his death, he wrote this. Four years later, at his death, neither one of these men had responded. George Mueller prayed for 40 years for these men and died never seeing the answer. At his funeral, one of those men was converted. And six months later, the other one was. He died never seeing the answer to that prayer. Suffering tests our patience. If you're saying, God jump through my hoop, change this child, change this physical thing, change this financial thing, and do it, you've got the hoop, remember? You gotta let go of the hoop. It's not your hoop. Do you realize that God is not in a hurry? that there's no clock in God's office. One day the Bible says God's going to erase time. How is that possible? We can't comprehend that. There is no past, present, and future with God. Everything is now. God is never in a hurry. But he's never late. It also teaches us perseverance. William Carey was another incredible missionary. I mean, he was he was a guy who, who really w- w- was pretty much... In Christian circles, in humanity's perspective, a loser, and he grew up in a in, in a poor home, desperately poor family. Didn't have much of an education. He he apprenticed as a shoemaker, but he was he was just so bad at his craft, he didn't even he couldn't even make it. He he, he started to uh, try to do something for God. He tried running a school, but he was he was so disorganized that the the the, the school was falling apart. He he had, a, he had a, a troubled life marriage she, his, his daughter when she was young, passed away and it caused him to lose all of his hair and he never grew it back. He, he had he had a troubled life he tried to to be a pastor of a church and they said, your messages are so tedious and boring we're not even going to ordain you." that was his, that was his life so he decided to start a mission agency and and, and he was going to be the, the the first candidate and so he set sail uh, for India. When he, when he got to a destination where he started his process, he started translating scripture and he gave his life to scripture translation. At one point, he had translated for 10 years and there was a fire that broke out and destroyed all of his work. This is before iCloud that there there was no backup. Can you imagine? What would you have done? 10 years of translation gone. I would have said, God, are you kidding? Ten years, what, what, I, I would have thrown the towel. You know what he did? He started over. At the time of his death, he had translated the entire Bible into five languages and portions of the Bible into 29 other languages. At his death, he made the gospel in the, their own language available to one-third of the world's population. And at his death, right before his death, someone was interviewing him, and he said this, If once you think it worth his while to write my life, I will give you the criteria by which you may judge of its correctness. If he gives me credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond this will be too much. I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this I owe everything. I I I tell you, he did not die a hero in his own mind. But he said, all I can do is, is, is I can plod. And, and, and suffering teaches us perseverance. It teaches us patience. Here's our third thing, our fifth thing. Suffering leaves a lot of unanswered questions. Like, when is this going to be over? How long? This thing with Josh, I remember early on, uh, it's been six and a half years. Early on, I said to Debbie, I said, Debbie, this is going to be ten years at least. I don't have some word from God, but but I've dug in, I say, this is not gonna happen overnight. And and you just need to get ready. This this is gonna happen. and it may be more than ten years. It, it may be till the day we die. We we've made a commitment. We every night at ten o'clock, my alarm clock, my phone goes off, and we stop, whatever we're doing, wherever we're at, and, and we pray for Josh. We've done that for over six years, and like, I'm gonna do that till I die. And it, it may be till I die. And, and but my question, God, when? How long? And, and I, I can really tell God about how you could be glorified to bring about a change in this. And you can look at your situation and say, God, you could really receive glory if you'd heal this person, if you'd change this, if you'd restore this. But, but again, God writes across some of the days we'll explain later. And, and I, I've got a lot of unanswered questions. When will it be over? Or, or, or God, can you really be trusted in this? Suffering usually goes into overtime, but we don't like that. Now, listen, if I knew everything God knows, I would not question anything that God does. We talked about that the other night. And here's the deal. When we ask that question, God, why me? We really should be saying, why not me? But we say, God, why not this person? And again, it goes back to that thing of comparison. And there's all these questions that keep coming. God, what about this? And here's the deal. Here's where way I'm, I'm trying to deal with this. I am confident in God's leading, not because I know the future, but I'm confident in God's leading because I know the past. We are in a summit in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia some years ago. It was it was a pretty large church, about 1,300 people, and there had been a couple um Students. Remember years ago, uh, Virginia Tech, there was a shooting on campus. one of the first um, shootings in, on a college campus, and it was a disaster, and it made, made national news, and there have been a number of – since this, but it was kind of one of the first big ones, as I, as I recall. A couple of years after that uh, shooting at Virginia Tech, uh, or a year after, there was a, a, another nationwide story that came out. And I think because of the Virginia Tech shooting, it kind of made more national news, but it was too students who had gone up to go hiking on the Appalachian Trail and they'd gone up to a place to park and take their hike and they were brutally murdered. And there was no reason. It was not sexual. It was not a robbery. There was no rhyme or reason. They never found any evidence of who did it. No one was ever caught. It was just, it was senseless and, and no explanation. These two students were at this church where so we would have the meeting and, and their parents had gone there and the, the youth pastor stood one Sunday morning and he, and he said to the church, he said, "I need to ask you to forgive me." He said, it, "It was two years earlier that this had happened before we'd gotten there." And he said, um, "For for the last two years, I've just kind of checked out on God." That they'd grown up in his youth group, they were sharp, and it's like, "I said, God, really, you're going to let that happen to somebody like that?" And he said, "For two years, I, I've not been the youth pastor I need to be. I've been the person I need to be." And he asked the church to forgive him for just his his attitude toward that. And after that service, I was talking to someone, and they said, "Steve, there's there's the." parents of one of those children that he was talking about because they kind of told me the story. And I, and I went to this couple and I, I said, man, I just, can I, can I ask you a question? How, how did you handle that? How did you, you, you deal with that? And I'll never forget this lady, his mom said to me, Steve, it was, the, it was the darkest days of our life. I never want to go through that again. But she said, but it's okay because we have history with God. And I thought, you know, I've got history with God. I, I've seen God do things in the past. I, I've got a whole book that records the history of God. And, and, and I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I have seen the faithfulness of God. I've seen it in my life. You have too. You've seen it in, in your church. You've seen it in the nation. You've seen it in Scripture. And, and I don't have confidence about knowing the future because I don't know that. But I'm confident in his leading because I have history with God, and you do too. And when something dramatically bad happens in your thinking, remember your history with God. I think the the thing on the sovereignty of God that's the most difficult for me is not to believe that God can do what he wants to do and what he's done. I understand that. That the problem is, is when I request something from God and I know that He can do that, I know He can heal or change or, or stop or start and, and, and He says no. And that's the potential bitterness for God. And I gotta go back and say, but I've got history with God. I know that God is faithful. And if you don't live remembering your history and all you live in what you can't see in the day, you're gonna be a bitter person. And here's the deal. Here's where I can think about the future. Suffering is not about temporary reward. It's about eternal reward. And and, and I've got to have a different mindset about eternity. I was in a meeting in Dalton, Georgia, and um, this church had a Balcony, kind of like this, and there was a, another kind of whole wing over here, and there was a, a, a husband and wife and and their son who sat kind of underneath the covering, kind of like he over here. And they came every night. And I, I if I talked to him one night. They had a, a son. He was thirty years old. His name was Adrian, and he had he had Asperger's or or some some form of that, and uh, he he couldn't talk. Um, he he um, basically required uh, full time attention. Um, he could kind of hum a little bit, and he's always smiling. He's, he was happy. He he was functioning in that way, but never said any words. And and um and I was talking to her, and she was kind of telling me the story. Um and 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 he she said he you know goes to school as a government program from nine until about two, and then he gets off the bus, and and I I just watched the clock. She said from two until five until my husband comes home to help me with him in the evening, and and um and he loved he loved the offering that was kind of it was a big deal for him he just loved um, you know and they, they and she said you've kind of messed us up because he, whenever he comes to a service he's always a little nervous until the offering plate comes by and then he can he can, he can relax and you, you have him passing plates and so we have to take him every day of the offering box and put a dollar in so he he kind of relaxes uh, at the last church they let him t- take the offering and he would take the plate and hold it in front of each person until they gave something she said, one time he held in front of one of the deacons, and the deacon says, Adrian, I don't have anything. He wouldn't move. He had to borrow money from the guy next to him to put in the offering plate. It's a great usher to have, right? And and, and she kind of told me the story a little bit. And then she said, she said, but you know, we are praying. And I thought, and she, she kind of got a little excited. And I thought, I thought, what is this dear lady who for 30 years, day in and day out, has given attention to this child for 30 years. What What is she praying for? What is her hope for him? What, what? And she said, But one day we are praying for Adrian that one day he will be able to say a word. That was it. If he could just say a word. And I thought, I am such a wimp. And I, I sat there, I said, listen, when we get to heaven, you're going to be in the front line. I'm to be so far back. You would not be able to see me. But your, your faithfulness to give yourself to your child day in and day out, I, and, and, and she is living for eternal reward. In, in the book of Hebrews, in 11, chapter 11, it says of Moses that, that he could have enjoyed the pleasures of Egypt. I mean, he could have been called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and everything. But it says this in Hebrews 11, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He wasn't living for this earth. He was living for eternal reward. He was living for eternity. And we get so caught up in what can I get now? How can my life be easy now? This life is just a dressing room for eternity. And and one day we'll have all eternity to, to deal with all those things. But right now, God has given us some things that are not easy. And, and if our focus is, is on, on what we can get for ourselves now, listen, let God define blessing. We say, well, blessing means that this answer will come and this child will change and this physical thing will be taken care of and this financial need will be met. Let God define blessing. Because he has a whole different perspective and what's going to happen with Adrian and his family in eternity, that's going to be blessing. And then suffering requires a choice. If you're waiting for the feeling of thankfulness, the feeling of happiness, the feeling, listen, Jesus said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, there was not happiness at the cross, but there was joy. Because he knew it was on the other side. So he chose joy in the midst of the most difficult situation he ever faced. James 1, we won't turn there, but you can study it through. James 1 says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, temptations, or tests. When you go through that, when you go through these times, you start by choosing to rejoice. And it goes on to say, and let patience have its perfecting work. When you rejoice, the word patience there really means endurance. When you go through a situation, James 1 says, if you choose to rejoice and if you will endure, that endurance will produce in you maturity. So the, the process of James 1 is rejoicing, enduring, maturing. And then down about verse 12, it says, and once you have endured, you will receive the crown of life. Again, that's an eternal reward. So so the the... the the outline of James 1, 1 through 12 is rejoicing, enduring, maturing, and crowning. The problem is you don't see the crowning in the midst of the hurt. All you see is the hurt. And, and you've got to choose the rejoicing part. If you choose to rejoice, it says count it all joy. It literally means leap up and down for joy. What? When everything's going Right? No, when you go through trials and temptations and tests, if you will endure, God will mature you, and one day you'll receive the crown of life. Now, now James goes on a few verses later and, and gives the wrong response. If you don't leap up and down for joy, it says when lust has conceived. Remember, lust is not just a sexual thing. It's a consuming desire for anything. It could be a lust for revenge, a lust for getting even. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it produces death. You mean I'm going to kill somebody? Well, you might, but for sure you're going to kill a relationship. For sure you're going to kill your intimacy with God, and so you have a choice. In the midst of suffering, either to rejoice or to get bitter. It's your choice and you've got to choose and I've got to choose over and over and over again. It's that 70 times 7. It's choosing every time it comes up to thank God for that circumstance that situation, that child, that financial, that physical thing. It's a choice. It's a choice rather than looking at that person you're looking at God. Now I want you to look back at the top of your page where you wrote down that person's name, that situation and over the top of it I want you to write the word God and then I want you to Write it again and and, and just highlight it. Just write God over and over again on top of that name of that person. Just so when you look at that, you don't really see their name anymore. Just keep writing God over the top. If you look through God's perspective and see that child or that financial or physical thing, see it through God's eyes. It's a choice. If I see it with eternal glasses and I choose to see it through God's eyes, it's a whole different perspective. If all I see is that situation, I'm going to get depressed. If I see it through God's eyes, then I can choose to endure. I can choose to rejoice. I can choose to let God work that maturing work and one day receive the crown of life. Here's the last thing. This is kind of the most current thing as to where God has Debbie and I at this point in our life. Suffering deals with our pride. I mean, the—I the, I don't like to talk about it because it's—it's it's embarrassing to me. It, it's humiliating, and I—I I don't, I don't want to, to deal with that. And that's why, I said if I could, if I had my choice, I would just leave the road and go um, find some place up in the mountains or on the beach or someplace not to see anybody, not to talk to anybody, and that would—that would be my choice. And if if God would have let me do that, believe me, I—I I would do that. But God has not let me do that. And, and at this point, um, here's 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 what I'm learning, and and for whatever it's worth, number one is this: I can't change a life. My my tendency is to do that. I I, I think I'll try to I, I'll try to fix this. I, I can't change a life. I a couple um, birthdays ago, uh, my son-in-law got me uh, some some coffee. And uh, it was a, a friend of his started this coffee company and and uh, here in the area. And so they were just it didn't have any, you know, writing on it because it was just kind of the homemade deal. You know, we like coffee. And so so I was going to put some of these beans in the coffee grinder. And so I, I got the bag out and I, I tried to open the top. I, I couldn't get it open. Normally they have these little tabs and easy open seal and fold it back up, you know, whatever. But I couldn't get it open. And and I'm I'm a slob in most areas of my life but but in in, in one area I'm kind of a neat nick that's in opening boxes like like the cereal boxes you know it says slide. it says insert thumb under tab slide gently to the right i do that it says carefully open inner seal i only open about a third of the way it says fold and tuck I tuck in that little slot i mean I, I i my kids they rip the top off it's stale cereal what's the deal with that okay so I'm, I'm 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 the guy that folds paper at christmas right anyway so so when it, when it comes to opening things i'm, I'm kind of I, I like things neat and so so I'm, I'm trying to get this thing and i'm just so frustrated why they didn't make this easier so I, I got a knife, and I, I thought maybe I can just stick a knife in there and get that thing open, and, and the knife slipped, and it ripped the bag, and, and the beans were falling every place, and I'm saying, this is so stupid. And I'm, I'm cradling this falling bag. I'm trying to pour these beans into the coffee grinder, and as I did, I realized I'd opened the wrong end. And the other end had the tab and the Foley thing and all the little easy open seal. And I'm sitting here in the midst of all these beans spilling every place. And it's like, God, God said to me, Steve, the, here's the deal. Josh is upside down right now. And until I turn him right side up, all you're going to do is make a big mess. And I, and, and, and I realized this, that, that a person who is upside down will not change until God sets them right side up. And so that's, that's our prayer, that God would use... Josh is thinking, his theology... He has a theology issue. His, his mind is upside down right now. And, and until you turn him right side up, all I'm going to do is make a big mess if I think I'm going to go in there and try to slit the thing open. I, I can't change life. You cannot change anybody but your own circle. And if you're saying, I'm going to change this person, then you're going to be one miserable person. Here's the second thing I'm learning. I don't have to fix every problem. This was so freeing for me. When when this first came up, I I, I sent books and and articles and, 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 uh, you know, we would debate. And I'd say, read this. And he'd say, read this. And and I'm I'm the dad. I've I've got to fix this. Here's what I realized. I don't have to fix every problem. The fact is, if it's God's plan for me, it doesn't need fixing. It just needs faith. And and right now, I I can't change a life. But but the the freeing thing for me is, is, is I don't have to fix it. That's not my job. It's God's job. And and I'm going to step back and let God do in his time, in his way, what I can't do anyway. But I'm going to stop being frustrated about that because it doesn't need me. It just needs me to exercise faith and believe that I have history with God, that he's faithful, and I can trust him. And I don't know what your situation is. It could be medical. It could be financial. You you don't have to fix the the marriage of your children. You don't have to fix the next door. You don't have to fix every situation. It's not your job. You can pray. You can be an encouragement. You can say a kind word. But but if you think that you've got to be the fixer, you're just going to be a mess. And, And when you let go and say, God, I cannot change that person, and I don't have to fix them, God, that's your job, and I'm going to trust you to do that in your time and your way, there is such incredible freedom and peace that comes from that. Here's the last thing. I can't quit. I want to. I I, I I want to quit. I want to quit on my son. I want to quit on the situation. I want to quit on on everything. I, I just I, I want to be done with it. And you may say, Steve, I have worked with this person. I've loved this person. I've prayed for this person for years, for decades. May, maybe like Mueller for forty years. And and sometimes we just give up. We say, I've I've tried, and there's, I'm just going to quit. They're not responding. They're not listening. I I, I just and we've given up. And and we all battle with that. And I, I just want to say to you, whatever your situation, is, it probably is different than mine. But whatever it is, if, if you'll just say, God, I cannot change a life, and, and I I'm gonna let you have that response. You're you're God and I'm not. And and I don't have to fix, it. I'm I'm gonna let go of that. If you've done things wrong, ask forgiveness, that's fine. You need to take care of that. But beyond that, you you can't fix it. You just need to have faith that God's in charge. But I am not going to give up. I, I'm not going to give up, and it may be after I'm dead and gone. But I, I am not going to give up
1: on praying and loving and
0: being there and, and 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 receiving and helping and encouraging and doing whatever I can. Uh, I'm not saying I always feel that way.
1: Some time ago, I was. Uh, we, we ebb and flow. In this whole thing of um, just kind of dealing with this, and some time ago I, I wrote a letter to Jeremiah, our, our second oldest son, and he's a pastor
0: there in Pennsylvania. And I just said, Jeremiah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of um, the embarrassment. I'm tired of having to talk about this. I'm tired of um,
1: um, just the. I, I just, I'm just, I'm just done. And he wrote me back a note. And he said this You can't quit, Dad. I'm watching. I'm watching what you're doing, what you're going to say, and how you're going to respond. You've been my role model for over 30 years, and I'm still watching you. You can't quit, Dad. I need you to stay strong. I need to see how you finish strong when the hardest battle of your life comes at the end of the race. I need to see your passion for Christ and love for the gospel grow as you walk this road. Dad, you can't quit. I'm watching. Dad, you can't quit. My kids are watching you. I need you to show my kids how to live for Jesus. They love their papa, and I want them to know the greatest thing in your life is Christ. Someday they'll fully understand this story, and I need them to see Christ all through it. You're giving my kids a legacy, and I need you to paint it clearly of Christ. You can't quit, Dad. My kids are watching. You can't quit, Dad. The gospel is on display. It's being destroyed and misused on one front, so you must show it more clearly. You must love when it's hard to love. You must stand for truth when lies take the form of truth.
0: You must show how the gospel sustains us in hard times, how it proclaims mercy and grace in our deepest struggles. You must show how when you feel unworthy and weak, that the gospel gives you hope and peace and a reason to keep fighting. You must paint the picture of the gospel more clearly when those who are blurring its beauty are all
1: around. You must continue to preach, to minister. God is not finished with you. You can't quit, Dad. The gospel is on display. You can't quit, Dad. We're all watching. You're the patriarch. You've led this charge for our family. You have a wife and children and daughter in laws and grandchildren that are following you. We're behind you and will help you as you walk through this valley. We'll stand together as a family for that is what you've taught us. We'll look to Christ and he will sustain us. We'll use this valley to encourage others who are walking through the same valley. We'll use this valley to proclaim Christ. You can't quit. We're all watching. Dad, I need you to finish strong. You can't quit. There's too much at stake. I love you. We all love you. Don't forget that. You can't quit. It's not an option, so stop saying it. We're in a battle and this war is one of the toughest our families faced. We need you to lead us and show us how to follow Christ while in it. Dad, I hope you say you can't quit. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I, I I don't know your scenario. But I just want to admonish you don't quit. So, Steve, I've prayed for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years. You can't change a life. You don't have to fix it. But you can't quit. I've been in services all my life where people were asked to come forward to give their life to full time missions or to preach or whatever. But I want to ask you something tonight maybe a little bit odd here is a call that all of us have to one degree or another God has called us to suffer and I wonder tonight if whatever the situation is that you're facing your family your finances your health if you'd be willing tonight to say, I am, I am going to embrace that call to suffer.
0: That God, by your grace, in the situation that I'm in, whatever you wrote down on your
1: page, that you would say tonight, God, I want to affirm to you that I am going to embrace that call. I'm, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit
0: loving and praying. I, I'm going to acknowledge, I, I can't
1: change that person, I don't have to fix it, but I am not going to quit. And I'm going to embrace my call to suffer. If that's where you're at tonight, I'd like to ask you to come down and just stand at the front with me. That's, that's what I have to do every day. And I want to pray for you. Just come down here with me and just say, by the grace of God, that's my desire. God, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep loving and praying for this person, for the situation, for this child. Just come down and stand with me and let me pray for you. Pray for that person, that circumstance, that situation. And just say, God, this this is my commitment to you. I can't change them. I can't fix them but I am not going to quit. I'm, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to love and to be Christ to them. I'm, I'm going to trust you with my financial thing or my physical thing, and I'm not going to quit. God, I, I don't know the any specifics, but you know every single heart every single life that's represented by someone here what whatever that is if it's a a child that they love and care about a grandchild a relative that has just made bad choices god would, would you just visit them right now right where they're at all
0: over this world you're not limited to these meetings and just speak to their heart god we we pray that as a corporate body would you just would you do that and and if you do that tonight, we want it to happen yesterday, but if, if you would do that tonight, we, we would just be incredibly grateful. But if, if 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 you want us to keep on persevering and praying, then we're going to do that too because we trust you. If it's a, a, a physical thing, God, we we ask for some that you would give dying grace, that, that there's some that, that it, it's their time, and, and, and we want to be holding their hand and encouraging those around them. Others, God, we, we want to see you provide a miracle and raise them up and give healing. and we, You can do either. And, and we're not going to quit asking
1: you to meet those needs financially or physically or whatever it is in those lives. You know, we, we just stand here as a body here at the front and just say, God, we are not going to quit. <laughs> we feel like it. <laughs>
0: We we, we, we want to just, we want to, we kind of, I often just want to throw in the towel, but I'm just, I'm just reaffirming to you once again, I'm I'm not going to quit. And if it's after I'm dead and gone, that you move in, in our situation and God, so be it, you're God and I'm not. And I, I pray you'd find a, a body of believers who would come around each other in the midst of whatever their circumstance or situation is and. Pray for each other, encourage each other to, to love and to care and have compassion and not compromise but not quit.
1: Encourage the body tonight in those ways.